It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors, like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream, are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings, or the midnight munchies, yeah, You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Tuesday Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. Il Canale is our host. We're in the middle of Georgetown. It's a phenomenal Italian restaurant. My meat lover's pizza, as always, spectacular. Our special guest, constitutional law expert, Kim Whaley. Uh, Tell us again, we mentioned it briefly in the main show, Kim, but I want to give you a chance to talk about it a bit more fully, your new book. The book is called How to Read the Constitution and Why, and the how and the why are the key words there. Why? Because the how actually... See, I got, I got, I got the why in there. Did yeah, you see you what did. I did there? The how tells you how, how to understand it. It's a complex document. You can't just read it and pick it up and make any sense of it. So it talks about what the Supreme Court said about it, and it kind of gets you on the bike itself so you can ride the Constitution bike. And the why is why we have it. Why is it set up this way? And why should everyone care about the Constitution? And the answer is what we've talked about earlier, which is that if we don't have an accountable government, it'll slip into something that could be quite dangerous for regular people. Right. And the Constitution is what binds people to our concept of the rule of law. Yeah, that's in our Constitution, we have this concept that no one, people say no one's above the rule of law. It's basically a social compact. It's, a, it's almost like a contract that, listen, people, we'll give you power over us. We'll let you govern us. But in exchange, we want some things, including you better follow the rule of law, because it's really having... Uh, speeding tickets for speeding, so to speak, that keeps individuals safe, that keeps it from having a world where the government can arbitrarily pick you up off the street based on your political views, for example. That That's not a d- democratic process, and that's what's at stake in this moment. Right. We, the people, give you power on a limited basis, two years in the House, six years in the Senate, four years in the presidency, and these are the guidelines, these are the rules we as a nation have adopted through a formal process to say... These are the guardrails. Right. And in your position of power, you must, you must adhere to these guidelines. But the critical part of that, and I talk about that in the book, is the consequence, right? So, I mean, if you're a parent, you know if you let the kid jump on the couch one time, the uh, rule against jumping on the couch no longer becomes a rule. It's almost impossible to enforce that. So we, the people, have you been also... to my house? <laughs> Seriously, have you, have you, like, you've been yeah. to my house or, or you've something? been to my house. You know, we're talking on the same page. But but so if we don't have enforcement, it's like a contract. We know if, you know, if the, if the guy walks off the job after demoing your kitchen with a $10,000 deposit, the, depo- the, the contract doesn't get your money back. You have to go to court and enforce it. Likewise, it's we the people who have to enforce the boundaries of our government so that it's preserved for generations. There's a phrase that gets thrown around, Kim Whaley, and I want to get your appraisal of it. I'm not comfortable with it. Um, and the phrase that gets thrown around, I think far too casually, on this question of impeachment, because that's what we're trying to learn more about and just get a assessment of its mechanisms, its means, 
its motivations, is constitutional crisis. When it comes to impeachment, I'm not comfortable with constitutional crisis in that if we are impeaching, the Constitution therefore is in crisis. I don't believe that. I believe it's a constitutional remedy that is being used. It's in the Constitution. Therefore, ipso facto, the Constitution is not in crisis. It's being used. It's a remedy. And I agree with you completely. And in fact, I think if we did not pull the impeachment lever or Congress, the Congress on the behalf of the people, then we would be potentially in a constitutional crisis, regardless of what happens with this president. If this president is not any president, any president, regardless of the next election, if we don't pull the levers of accountability, those the accountability goes away, the rules go away. So it's really about protecting. I use another example um, about a bridge over a rushing water. I talk about this in the book. And you can have red cops and blue cops on the bridge, and you can fight about which cop is mean and which cop is nice and which cop you want in power. Meanwhile, if the bridge is corroding, if the bridge is not being tended to over hundreds of years, it could collapse and while you're fighting about blue versus red, and everyone goes down with it. It doesn't matter where you are politically. And the bridge really is we the people. The bridge is the Constitution. The bridge is each other, not the politicians. Andrew Johnson was impeached, tried in the Senate, acquitted. Richard Nixon was not impeached. There were votes, but he knew what the ultimate outcome would be, meaning the House would impeach him, the Senate would convict him, so he resigned. Bill Clinton was impeached, acquitted by the Senate. There have been attempts to impeach or articles introduced on George W. Bush, Barack Obama. Have we become, has this become kind of a political fetish, this impeachment thing? It might point to the fact that this is really the sole mechanism, except for an election, to hold the president accountable. If you agree with the legitimacy of the Office of Legal Counsel memo saying you can't use the courts. That's essentially what that said. So we got a three-branch stu- uh, stool here. If you knock out the courts... And the, the president courts, can't be indicted. And the president can't be indicted. That, that's what the memo says. That's a, that's a legal opinion. It's not law. But it essentially knocks out the courts as a mechanism of oversight for the president. And other than just holding hearings, the only thing the Congress can do is impeach or the next election, the voters can elect that person out of office. So that, you know, we've also impeached, as you mentioned, federal judges. Um, we've seen criminal investigations of federal judges and impeachment at the same time. Um, so this is this is not meant to be, as you suggest, something a crisis moment that is sort of like kryptonite. Um, but it is really what we have to ensure that the office, the breaches of the office, don't get too big, such that regular people get mowed down down the line. So this is, despite what we've been doing for the last couple of minutes, again deep, heavy. Uh analysis of impeachment and its constitutional foundation. Let's have the little fun and games part of the takeout, outtake, especially because that's what we do. So I have three threshold questions. Okay. You might be familiar with them. Every guest gets these questions. Our audience loves the answers. So the questions, I'm guessing now, are slightly above average. So in no particular order, most influential book in your life, all-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies, and if you're on a long flight or a long drive, what kind of music, artist, or genre are you most likely to listen to? Okay. Book, I would have to say Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. I read it probably three or four times as a kid. And I, as a kid? Yeah, as a kid. I haven't read it since then. I'm always reading all, all this other stuff that we're tired of talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, And I remember actually circling... What was the hook for you in that book? Well, I circled the hard words and would look them up, right? right. But it was also you know this kind of quiet, behind-the-scenes woman who ended up having tremendous strength in the, in the wake of a real trauma. And I, I've sort of kind of taken a similar path in my life. I, I, we used to be quite quiet, and, and now I'm not. So Very <laughs> good. That's um, okay. Movie? Movie. 
Oh, uh, gosh, that's hard. I absolutely love the movie Lost in Translation, the Sofia mm-hmm. Coppola one yes. uh, with Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. In which, Japan, in Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's about these two people that, you know, they're friends, but it, it really comes across how they love each other in a way that's almost inexplicable. And if I added to that, I would say this awesome Australian movie called Strictly Ballroom, which is about crazy parents and, you know, uh, ballroom dancing contests. It's amazing. Right. And the soundtrack is fabulous. And, of course, Bush Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, because who doesn't like Burt Bacharach? Right. Exactly. That's been mentioned before. <laughs> the other two movies uh, have not. So you're uh, an original in every way on the first two. <laughs> and uh, music, genre. Music. Or okay. artist. I'm a huge music person. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm always making playlists. And that's all mostly sort of um, alternative rock or indie. So I love Bonnie Vare. I love Tame Impala. But on a long road trip, I go back to the oldies. And I mean oldies like England Dan and John Ford Coley yes. and Barry Manilow and Air Supply. If I'm in very a sad mood. Very soft rock. Very exactly, soft rock. Yeah. If, uh, the soft rock from the 70s. If I need to uh, pick me up, belting it out to She's Gone by right. Colin Oates, right. that, that does the trick. That's right. the best medicine. Jim Croce would be in there, I'm <laughs> yes, guessing. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Even Neil, Neil Diamond. Diamond. Neil D- oh, yeah. I grew up in Neil Diamond. Yeah. One of five kids like dancing in the living room for sure. I'm a, a secret, huge Neil Diamond fan. I only uh, admit that every once in a while. Uh, I won't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Uh, it's, my, it's our little secret right here <laughs> okay. at Elkin Alley. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, because I do this with every lawyer I meet, I literally do, what is, if you have one, your favorite legal movie? Oh, gosh. I don't know that I have one on that one. Because you, uh, you mentioned an Australian flick, and there's an Australian flick, uh, flick done by Bruce Beresford uh, called Breaker Morant. It's a huge, it's a, it's a war and legal uh, movie. Uh, also, you know, Anatomy of a Murder is one of my all-time favorite legal movies, and The Verdict. Well, I used to use a civil action, the John Hanks movie, to yeah. actually teach civil procedure. The book is excellent, and so I would probably have to use. I use the clips from the video, and it's actually quite accurate. And we've had a, we've had a guest here say that when she, she was at Harvard, the movie uh, My Cousin Vinny <laughs> yeah. was used as an evidence class. Yes, that we we do use that. I mean, this is this is 2019, <laughs> major. We have to get them hooked, no matter what it takes. <laughs> so I've been known to do that kind of thing too. Very good, yeah. Kim Whaley. It's been a great pleasure to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for all the learning and education, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. We'll see you next week. New episodes of The Takeout are available Friday mornings wherever you get your podcasts. The Takeout is produced by Arden Farin, Katiana Krachenko, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, and Ellie Watson. CBSN production by Alex Zuckerman, Eric Susanen, and Grace Seegers. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, visit TakeoutPodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about 
the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Van Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.